The Johnny Pounds Show. I'm John LeBlanc, and this is the Johnny Pounds Podcast. I'm a guitarist and a technology mentor, but most importantly, a huge lover of music. So this is a podcast about music, people creating it, the people and places hosting it, and inspiration and resources to pursue or augment a career in music, as I have. So I love music from day one, probably because of my mom, who is the daughter of a folk musician, and was always dancing around the house, rocking out to the oldies station in Boston, spinning the Roy Orbison records. And my dad also played guitar, and we had a piano in the house, which was really cool. I took piano lessons from about age four till age 11. And man, I was really good at 11. I'm terrible now. But I think the thing that really helped me turn the corner was in middle school and we had a water fair at the Abbott Middle School. Instead of doing a very academic project, a bunch of my friends and I decided that we would put together a rock band called Acid Rain and we would play water-related tunes such as uh, Wet Thing instead of Wild Thing or instead of Mrs. Brown, You've Got a Lovely Daughter, we did Mrs. Brown, You've Got Polluted Water and we played Wipeout and we played Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. But I think that was when I really fell in love with rock and roll performance and playing on stage and that whole rush that you get from just uh, blowing people's minds. So that was the beginning of it. I guess it wasn't until much later in life that I really decided that uh, I was ready to pursue it as a profession. I think always because music was really sacred to me and I didn't want to take a gig and resent it because I was doing it just for the money. So I'm really lucky in that over the years I had my technology mentoring career that uh, could support me so I could really just pick and choose the gigs that were going to be fulfilling. And and uh, I guess I'm lucky now that after doing it for so long that people pay good money for uh, my experience and the ease of hiring me and communicating. So that's kind of where I am now. But I think uh, more interesting than me, there's a lot of great people doing stuff around town. Not just around town, but all over the place that we can draw inspiration from. So if you are an artist, creator, producer, or some sort of benefactor or collaborator or just a fan or a historian, or you have some sort of product or service, or you're some sort of provider or charity that's music-related and you have something to say, something to share, something that we can learn from, or if you're a venue rep or something like that, just give a shout. I want to hear from you and I think everybody wants to hear from you and we all want to figure out how we can all get together as an industry and as a local community to really fulfill our artistic aspirations. So uh, johnnypounds.com is the website. Reach out and let me know what you want to do. What are you doing and what can we learn from you? I'm Doc Rock, and you are listening to The Johnny Pounds Show. Johnny Pounds Podcast is brought to you by Etched Aloha, custom laser engraving and anything you need for personalization. Etched Aloha makes cool shit with hot light. It's located on 419 South Street, Suite 170 in Kaka'ako by appointment only. Visit etchedaloha.com. Frickin' laser beams. Consideration is also brought to you by the third annual Hawaii Sketch Comedy Festival, October 21st at the Doris Duke Theater at the Honolulu Museum of Art, 
and October 22nd at Arts at Mark's Garage in Chinatown, featuring original comedy and live music. It's like Saturday Night Live in Hawaii. Visit hisketchfest.com for tickets and more information. And to stock Kimmy online. Brought to you by Improv HI. Welcome back to the Johnny Pounds Podcast. We're deep in the valley of Manoa on a rainy Saturday morning with Alex Kawakami. Good morning. How's it going, Alex? It's going good, man. A long time no see, actually. So for those of you who are unfamiliar, Alex is a very prolific singer and songwriter who you'll find playing around town as a solo artist and alongside Henry Capono and friends. Who else is mm-hmm. in that combo? Remind me. Uh, there's Blaine Singh and Johnny Valentine. And then Henry's band is awesome. The uh, Conrad on drums and uh, John Ha's bass, Lopaka on percussion. He's got all the, the best players behind him, so playing with him is super easy. <laughs> Those are all ringers, and really yeah. good guys, too. Guys. Yeah, super good guys. The group is, the dynamic of the group is really cool. That's why I think we all enjoy it a lot. Yeah. Now, I first met you when you were playing with Manoa DNA. Yes. I guess I shouldn't say when you were playing, because I imagine you will continually yeah. play with Manoa DNA. Oh, yeah, until all the perish. time, so. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me a little bit more about how that came to be. Uh, Manoa DNA, well, for those of you out there uh, who don't know about us, we're um, we're a family band. So we started back in 2005, and we, like any family who jams music, we played music all over um, family uh, events, luau's. And then uh, a friend of my dad was starting a restaurant and asked if we wanted to play every Thursday, which is the E&O Trading Company in uh, in Ward. I miss that place. Yeah, it was really fun. And we so we opened that place up. We played every Thursday, and um, we had to think of a name because it was opening in a few months, and we had to practice. And uh, that's really how it happened. We had no intention of becoming a family band. I actually moved home from Colorado to pursue a sol- solo career. And Manoa DNA kind of just happened out of nowhere, which looking back is was a great chance. <laughs> Wait, how old were you at this point? I was 19. 19? Yeah. So you'd already uh, been in college for about a year or so? Yeah, I spent a year in uh, at Colorado, uh, just my freshman year, and then I wanted to come back. Um, certain things in Colorado happened that made me want to move back. I uh, They wouldn't let me into the music department uh, at Boulder because I play guitar and ukulele upside down. So, you know, I play a right-handed guitar left-handed. And so I had a meeting with the music department and they said they wouldn't allow me to to major in guitar because uh, I played upside down. So I'd, I'd have to learn again right-handed and that upset me. And I didn't understand why. And so after my first year, I had a lot of fun there, but I was like, you know what, I'm going to go back to Hawaii and uh, use some connections I have there to to pursue music. And then Manoa DNA happened about three months after I moved back, which was total chance. But it turned out, I mean, looking back, it's great. I'm really happy that that all happened because um, it's led to a lot of things, a lot of good stuff. So tell me a little bit more about uh, your dad Lloyd's background because he's yeah. obviously supremely musical and just yeah. incredibly natural. Yeah, my dad is was great. When we were growing up, he, you know, he wasn't, pushing us into music at all um but we're always around it he always performed from high school he always had a weekly gig or a gig somewhere and um so he's the one that taught us how to play music and uh so he had bands all throughout high school college and then after and um 
he started playing with Cecilio of CNK, and that led him into touring with CNK in the '90s. Um, and so he he had that experience uh, that kind of helped my brother Nick and I uh, move forward in music. He when we decided to be Manoa DNA, when we decided to play weekly at ENO, he specifically told us, you know, we can do this, but we're gonna do it right, and so he put us through music boot camp whereas before you know I, I thought now nah, we'll be fine we'll play three hours and we'll just kind of make it up as we go but he you know he said if we're gonna do this and get paid for it then you better be a professional so he's the one that taught my brother and I how to work on everything and rehearse and you know make every single performance your best and so and he you know having that history for what 40 years before that um kind of helped, I think, Manoa DNA. Uh, he was the leader, kind of pushing us forward. Yeah, it's one thing that struck me right away the first time I saw you guys play in probably 2011 mm -hmm. over at the Kanakapila Lounge yeah. um, at the Outrigger Reef in Waikiki was just how polished it was, how yeah. the transitions from song to song were really smooth and yeah. the set list was really well thought out and it was a definite flow to it, mm -hmm. yet you kept yourself, you had a really nice balance of being able to keep it open to whatever spontaneously happened in the room and be yeah. able to adapt with that and react to what the audience was reacting to and yeah. and be able to incorporate requests and things like that, which is such a crowd pleaser. Yeah, it's, um, you know, he always said it's one thing to just be good at, at music or, or play a song, but it's another thing to be entertaining. And you have to, to a point, cater to the crowd because they're the reason why you're playing. Um, but, you know, that doesn't mean play everything that they ask or, you know, play cater to anybody it's you know we do our own stuff but you have to feel out the crowd and that's kind of what he he kind of instilled in us in the beginning and it's not something you can just tell somebody to do so it was over time you know we would critique what we're doing and uh over time we kind of learned how to play the room instead of just going in with a certain set list we're gonna play this and that's it we don't care if anybody's gonna enjoy it it was more here's our set list let's see how it's going to go after the second or third song. If we want to change it up, let's change it up. And so that flexibility was kind of over time instilled in us by him, which I, I look back and, you know, even now when I play solo or with Henry or even with Manoa DNA, it's, that's an important part of, you know, being a musician and an entertainer is being able to play the room and judging, you know, whether or not you're going in the right direction or not. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You can definitely get caught up in a lot of the mechanics because there are a ton of mechanics yeah. involved in, in yeah. just playing and singing at the same time period yeah. and making sure all your sound equipment is right. Never mind. You know, it's easy to lose track of the fact that um, the net result, the thing that actually gets you paid and the thing, the reason why people have personal special experiences that moves them to, to go see music yeah. is, is the, the final product and how yeah. you connect with them emotionally. Yeah. And that goes towards, I mean, that goes also with rehearsing. Um, you know, I, that's something I pride myself on a lot nowadays is I don't want to go into anything, um, you know, half-assed. I, I don't want to go into it unprepared. That's like a biggest fear of mine is to go into a performance not knowing what's going on because I don't like that feeling of I have to concentrate on what the next words are, what the chords are. If, you know, the guys behind me are playing the right chords or not. I want to go in and be able to just focus on the music and the people there. And so 
that's like going towards preparation. And that's something that my dad, you know, he, he's the one that started that off is, you know, don't, don't just jump into it. You, we have to rehearse, you know, we, we have to rehearse in order to make, make sure that we could put 110% out. And, you know, so it's easy to forget that um, rehearsal is important. And I, 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 I don't like going into something unprepared, which is, I guess it's a good thing, but I see a lot of, um, a lot of other people who just like to wing it. And yep. I, I kind of am jealous of it because I love the fact like, oh yeah, we'll just jump in and we'll play this and we'll play that. I'm jealous of doing that, but at the same time, I'm like, I want to make sure it sounds awesome so that when people hear it, they're like, dang, that, that was prepared. That was awesome. That was so tight. That's what I, I love that. Oh yeah, that's a great yeah. feeling. Yeah, I'm, I personally, I'm the type of person that just loves rehearsal. Yeah, uh, much to everybody else's dismay. Mm -hmm. When I lived in San Francisco, I was playing in two bands simultaneously, and, and eventually a third. And in San Francisco, we had a lockout rehearsal space over at Secret Studios, mm -hmm. which was just five minutes outside of the city where I worked. But I rode a motorcycle, so I could kind of skip through traffic and get there in yeah. ten minutes. Mainland when it would style. Be, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when it would be when it would be you know thirty minutes by car. I don't, I don't think you can do that legally here, but in California, you can split lanes. Oh, yeah. So I would be there really quickly. And so we would have a rehearsal with one band from 6 to 9, and then the other band would come in 9 to 12. Jeez. And I used to eat it up. So these yeah. were lockout rehearsal spaces. So we essentially had a monthly lease, and we shared it with one other band. Oh, I was cool. hardly ever there. Mm -hmm. And I think my our, our two bands had practiced three times a week. So mm -hmm. it would be 6 to 9, three times a week with each band, which wow. was a lot of rehearsal That's great, time. yeah. But the thing was for me is that everybody would leave and at the end of the night I would actually record our rehearsals. Oh. So afterwards I'd go through and I'd take the audio and I'd edit it down so that I'd have something to listen to because I always thought that you know, recording rehearsals was a really good learning mm -hmm. tool. Mm -hmm. So I was actually putting in way more rehearsal time than everybody else yeah. just prepping the recordings and then going back and listening to it. But for me, I never got sick of it. That was really enjoyable. And, yeah. and, it, and it really helped me to, like you described, just be in that happy space where i don't have to worry about what the next change is or yeah what the be in the moment is. yeah yeah and 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 absorb that energy from the crowd the yeah. energy from the room and and even you know think ahead a little bit and think about oh well how can i play this differently this yeah. time mm -hmm. for the sake of all the people that come to see us yeah. week after week or month after month yeah so that's that's kind of how i am too i like recording it because i find that if i just listen to it even if it's in the car or i'm cleaning the house or something it's it's embedding it in my head so i know oh this change is there you know or the, the this this break is right there all the time and it becomes second nature yep that's cool i mean that i love that i love just having it so you can be in the moment and enjoy it because I, I i when i when i have to think about the lyrics or think about the chords i don't pay attention to anything else yeah. which is a problem yeah. you know so so before um, before Lloyd had connected with Cecilio and done mm -hmm. that, was he relying upon music for his income, or is that something he no. was doing purely as a hobby? Um, he, well, let's uh, I, I guess in high school and college he was just playing for fun. In college, I, he actually played for Hawaiian Airlines um, as their I don't know if it was their traveling band or just the band up in. He went to school in Portland um, at Lewis and Clark. And so he and a few other guys played music and they're able to travel to different cities for Hawaiian to um, play music. But that was I don't think that was a source of income. Mm -hmm. And uh, but he had always worked at the family, our family company, Iolani, um, at the, our, making Aloha shirts and women's apparel. And um, so he never had to um, uh, rely on music to make a living. Um, he always had a full time job. So music was always his getaway. It was always fun. But he took it very seriously. Um, I don't think I've never really asked him, but I don't, I don't think he ever 
uh, consciously tried to pursue music only. You know, I think it was always just something that he did. And yeah. it was never a strategy to be on the radio, record. He, he never recorded any uh, records or CDs or tapes or anything. Um, so I think it was just his outlet, he, something he loved to do, but he took it very seriously. It, maybe I should invite him on to ask him firsthand, but I'm super curious about that because I've always, you know, dreamt of, you know, hitting the road for a little while at least, yeah. just to, you know, sort of take a break from from my day to day and see the world. And and also, it's it's really hard work. But I know that you know when you're working that hard, that many sleepless nights with other guys, that there's a certain brotherhood that's formed, and yeah, you know that that's a kind of a cool feeling. But um, when he took off, it was pretty easy for the family to, to let him take the, the time off from work, or was that a little yeah. bit of a struggle? Um, no. I, you know, he never... I guess with the, the C&K stuff, well, by the time he joined, they weren't doing long international or even U.S. tours. A lot of the stuff he did was in Hawaii, West Coast, and Guam. Okay. And I think Japan. So he wasn't leaving for weeks at a no, time. No, no, weekend no. Warriors. I think by that time, I don't think CNK was, was touring um, those And you said this was, about, this was in the early 80s? No, 90s. Oh, 90s. 90s, okay. yeah. So this is, uh, they, I guess there's the second time the second time they got back together. Because um, I think about them as a, as a 70s band. Yeah, yeah. And maybe 80s a little bit, but then they broke up and they got back together and then they stopped again. And then... I think the second time they got back together, that's when my dad, um, they did a concert at the Shell and then um, sold it out. But I think that's, Which is, that that's, that's like 8,000 seats yeah, or something like something that? Yeah, something like that. It's, it's big. That's a pretty eight, significant eight audience. 10, yeah. So they sold that out. And then uh, he, from there, he did a, f- a few tours with them um, for a few years. But, you know, they, I don't think CNK was really, um, that was just the beginning of their, you know, their back in the day concerts that they used to do. Um, this was before all of that. So they weren't um, touring and doing consistent stuff together yet. Um, so for that, it was okay for him to travel, you know, maybe a week, two weeks at most. And, and is was, he doing the same thing that he does with Mino and DNA, doing the 12 string yeah. and high harmonies? Yeah, 12 string, all harmonies. Um, I think what, what happened, um, <clears throat> the... Not it wasn't C and K tours. It was the Manoa DNA tours that he had to really figure out. Um, you know, he, he couldn't be at Iolani all the time, and so um, when we started traveling with Manoa DNA and going to Japan six, seven times a year for a couple weeks at a time, um, my that's when my mom got involved with the family business. That the sole reason was because my dad couldn't be there all the time, and instead of uh, you know, not touring, he saw, my mom had already been involved, but she s- slowly started taking over the day-to-day stuff um, before that. And then it just kind of all fit together. And so my dad was able to travel uh, while my mom took care of most of the day-to-day stuff. And then when my dad was back here, um, you know, he would still be working there and, and making the decisions. But as far as um, keeping the business going, my mom took over. So that was, he was really fortunate um, to have my mom there. And um, just the timing of everything for us, looking back, was it's crazy how it all just fit together. You know, I mean, my mom never worked at the family company um, until about a year or two before Manoa DNA was formed. And that gave her the training to kind of be able to take over when Manoa DNA traveled. And Manoa DNA wouldn't have happened if 
I didn't get rejected from Colorado. And all this stuff like happened all in sync. And it, it's, it's cool to go back and think about how that all happened. So you said that Mino DNA started playing at Eno around 2005 or yeah. so. And so did you start touring immediately? Or how long did it take before you guys were a polished enough act that you could go on the road and be sort of these ambassadors of Aloha that yeah. you are? It's, you know, I, we were very, very fortunate because, um, you know, even with the, the weekly gig we got, um, people would have, you know, people here work so hard and they would have loved to have a weekly steady gig at a place like, you know, with the support that we had um, from management and owners. Um, so we were very fortunate with that. We weren't polished at all. Um, we were very rusty and very new. Uh, but we also had the support of Roy Sakuma, um, who is a very close friend of the family. He taught me ukulele for a while. Um, and he supported us to the fullest. So he actually, um, he was helping me with my solo music before I moved back home in 2005. And so when Manoa DNA started, he offered to manage us. And so um, we had gotten the gig, steady gig at ENO, which was great. Uh, and that was weekly. That was weekly, every Thursday. Um, and, and you had a regular audience, same people would come every week? Yeah, we would fill it up uh, pretty much every week, which was amazing. And it was right next to Borders. You remember Borders, music, books and music in, in Ward? It's where Bed Bath & Beyond is now, but it used to be a two-story bookstore that used to sell music too. I vaguely remember it being a Borders. When did they shut down, do you remember? Oh, a long time ago, yeah. But it was perfect because... Uh, in 2006, Roy gave us the opportunity. He said he wanted to be a producer and produce our first album. And at that time, we were so raw. I don't know what he saw in us, but you know, li listening back to that album, and my it's, guess is the three-part harmonies. Yeah, yeah, it was totally the harmonies. Um, but listening back to that album, it's like, oh, it's like nails on a chalkboard for me. But he was, you know, he produced our album and we were able to sell it in Borders. So when we played at ENO, we said, go to Borders and buy the album. So it got up to number one on the Borders uh, music list the nice. first couple of weeks. So we were kind of cheating in that sense, but it worked out for us. Um, There's no cheating. Yeah, I know. It was it was all strategic. It's all allowed. <laughs> yeah. But um, and so that's that's kind of how it all progressed. So we we're so fortunate to have people who saw potential in us and were willing to take a chance on that. Um, and on a side note, that first album we did, we we're recording it downtown and, uh, it was mostly original. So we we're recording it and Roy says, Hey, you know, I have a, I have a bass player friend that wants to come play on it. And we're like, okay. So he came in and it turned out to be Benny Ritveld. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Santana's bass player. So he's <laughs> on the first album. So he's in there. He's never heard the songs before. He's playing on a few of our, my original songs and he's just standing there and he plays it back. He goes, all right, I'm ready. Yeah. And he just starts ripping. And I'm this, you know, 19, 20-year-old kid going, holy crap, this guy's so good. Who is he? And but now he's rolling in the yeah. residuals thanks to you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He has us to thank for his success. Yeah. But he, it was, it's so cool that that, that happened too. So it was, it's just all, we're so fortunate in the first couple of years. Um, and Roy is the one who talked Hawaii tourism into taking us up for one of their conventions for the first time. No one knew us. No one knew anything about us. Um, and we went up for one of those, uh, just a convention, played music, and it was really successful. And 
Uh, that led into doing a, con- a Hawaii concert in Yokohama, which featured a bunch of different people here, which um, was fun. It was like Melvin Lead, um, uh, Nohelani Cipriano, all these big, big names, Raitea. And that got us to get to know them, which was fun. But it was also fun because that was that was actually our first gig in Japan. We played. We didn't have a CD yet. And we went out into the lobby to signed pictures that Roy had made for us and we thought who the hell is going to want signed pictures of us nobody knows who we are but the crowd came and pushed the tables back into the corner we were signing autographs and I think that's when Roy was like yeah we got to put out a CD for you guys what's going on definitely because you know that everybody in line would have spent ten dollars at least yeah to get that CD to get signed yeah so it's the first couple years were so fortunate for us and I I'm so happy that you know we have those kind of friends that supported because it wouldn't have, Manoa DNA wouldn't have happened without that. So well, I think also you guys are the perfect uh, ambassador for for Hawaii because you have that amazing mix of, uh, you know, sort of local style, mm-hmm. the classic throwback music that people here loved mm-hmm. in the '70s and '80s. Yeah, and you can cover all the Hawaiian stuff yeah. with pizzazz. And yeah, now, and now have your wife come, you know, yeah. dance beautiful hula. Yeah. And, and then I think the other part, too, is just what I love about your style of play as a group is that you guys have the biggest smiles on your faces yeah. and you're just you're truly loving it and having fun. Yeah. And it really is contagious. And, you know, it's funny watching your brother Nick play. It looks like he's ready to crack up at any moment. Yeah. It's like he's got some private joke going yeah. on in his head. That's that, all he's thinking of. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and he's hilarious. And he is he is definitely the, the comic relief. But I think it just even before you play a note, I think you're evoking a sense of fun that yeah. is that's universal and, and it transcends language and it transcends location. Yeah. I mean that that's I think that's just as important. Um you know when it became when music started becoming serious um as a way to to kind of make a living uh, we decided, okay, we're gonna treat it as a business. But you know, once it once it becomes not fun or it starts to break up the family dynamic, that we all agreed that that's when we're gonna call it quits, and it's not it's not worth that. Um, but we've never even come close to that point yet. And you know, even now when we play, it's just it's so much fun, and we we make it a point to surround ourselves um, with good people too. Uh, you know, Mark Tanoy has been our bass player Phenomenal. forever, and he is just like us you know he he travels easy he can take a joke he can dish out jokes and he's can rip on the bass and so we make it a point to make sure that anybody we work with has that same kind of attitude because it only takes one person to kind of come in and um ruin that dynamic well i've seen you kill it solo Mm -hmm. and i mean just pack rooms overflowing Uh, I remember when you had played at the Bethel Street Tap Room a couple mm-hmm. years ago that the bartender had made hundreds of dollars in tips. Yeah. Hundreds, hundreds of dollars yes. in tips. Um, so that's that's just a testament to, you know, the, the kind of business. How drunk my mean. friends are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, if, if that's what he made in tips, what did the yeah. bar make? Yeah. You know, yeah. So, so it's just a, um, it's amazing that you have that superpower that not only do you put on a good show that people enjoy, um, but also it makes money, too, for mm-hmm. everybody involved, which is... Yeah, which is which is difficult, especially if you're an artist that's playing week after week. Yeah, it's easy for audience to say, "Oh, well, I can just catch them next week." Yeah, but for you, somehow you're able to uh, not uh, not get stuck in that pitfall, and people will see you rain or shine. Yeah, it's the support that we've gotten and I've gotten over the years is is really awesome. You know, it's it's um, 
I don't I don't know how to explain it, but the you know when when people come in to play to watch me play, it's um, it's not always the same people, but it's it's the 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 people who are who want to come out because they want to support. That's that to me means a lot, and so you know I I make it a point to make sure they know how much it means to us that they come. You know, like when we played at Blue Note as Manoa GNA last year. I was there. It was, yeah, I know. And <laughs> it was Being obnoxious, so I'm sure. cool. No, 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 no. Stop no. whistling, John. My ears hurt. No, no, not at all. I love I love that. I love when people yell. I love when they whistle. I love all that stuff because it's that just means everybody's having fun. And that's the reason why we're there. Well, is Scott Schaefer. And yeah. And Mark Perlman. Mark Perlman and, and guitar. Phenomenal players and yeah. super cool guys. Yeah. Super yeah. versatile and just like. Easy. If you're going to get stuck in a bus with a guy, like those are two yeah. guys you want to be stuck on. Yeah. Yeah. Bus with. That's exactly what I was talking about is surrounding ourselves with those people because not only are they phenomenal musicians, but they're even better guys and better people to travel with and to be stuck in a green room with you know and who was playing with you when you were back in your eno days in 2005 uh we we had um ron kwong played bass he was uh he used to play bass with my dad um back uh when they used to play at the old horatios and kincaids kincaids used to be horatios before uh-huh. and my dad played there um all the time and, and then they haven't had music at kincaids for a not million for a while years, yeah like. and uh, and they're actually closing this year so because they're gonna knock it down sure but um, yeah, Ron Kwong started with us. He he did us a big favor by helping us. Actually, when we first started, um, I take that back. When we the first couple gigs, we didn't have a bass player. Yeah, my and brother. I've seen you pull it off as a trio. Yeah, my brother fine. was supposed to play bass. You know, we were like, hey, we just gave him the bass and said, figure it out. But you know, that was kind of a big feat <laughs> to ask of him to learn three hours of music in a month. Yeah. So we we had. Um, we had I think we had a few Gary Picaro I don't know if you have him he's a de- friend of my dad's too um, he played bass one week uh, Brad Watanabe uh, who is in the green now he played with us he's my classmate not in to high be school. confused with the Brad Watanabe who's a phenomenal uh, videographer yeah 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 what he shoots yeah Another great guy they're I, both I great know th- artists I know that Brad and yeah he's, he's amazing yeah this Brad plays bass for the green um, but he sat Those in green one guys of, are really good guys too super I met cool. them real briefly a long time ago at the Roadrunner Music Hall and. Uh, they were super tight, yeah, and uh, just really cool, They're chill guys, professionals, yeah. but also just really easy to yeah. be around. They're you know no ego whatsoever, just very yeah. inclusive and yeah. I, was, I funny I was pleased going back and forth from L.A. the last few years. I was on their flight like three or four times, which is super random. But I was always on their flight going back and forth to Hawaii, and I knew Brad, their bass player. I've been friends with him since elementary school, and we used to have a band in high school together. So. One time, we are actually sitting next to each other randomly, too. So it was fun to catch up with them, too. But they're all awesome, you know, real easygoing. But they're so good. Yep. They're so tight yep. in everything they do. And I, I think that just adds to their character. Yep. And it, it seems like they do a lot on the West Coast, too. Yeah, they're, they're blowing up, man. Yep. As they should. I mean, yeah. they put on a good show. Yeah. Soulful voices, great harmonies. Yeah. They love what they do, too. And a, and a strong brand, too. Yeah. yeah. Definitely see a lot of those T-shirts and hats around. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, thanks for very much for uh, for taking the time to um, hang out and, and talk music a little bit. Yeah. I, I, um, I think we only scratched the surface. I know. I feel know? like I have I have so much to ask you. Um, maybe we'll take a quick break and uh, see if any of this recorded, and then uh, and then come back in a little bit <laughs> All right. with Alex Kawakami. And uh, this is the Johnny Pounds podcast. All right, we're back with Alex Kawakami. 
deep in the heart of Manoa, mm-hmm. deep in the valley. So you spell your name kind of interestingly. Yes. Most people spell Alex, A-L-E-X, and you spell it A-L-X. Yeah, only the weird people spell it with an E, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now, is that is that w- the name that you were given, or did you just abbreviate it? No, uh, no I, I just wanted to, I wanted it to be a little different. And so um, one of my my friends was like, you should just, it'd be a cool logo to have A-L-X. And then my brother made a logo of a guitar, which I still use today with ALX in it. And I was like, that looks really cool. I'm going to go with that. And it, it was before I was doing anything solo. And so I thought it was just, you know, I was still, I was playing with Manoa DNA only at the time. And I was like, ah, it'll just be cool. You know, people won't really pay attention how to spell it. So I'll just use it. And then from there, it just kind of got legs and kept going. And I was like, oh, I can't back down now. I'm just going to use it. So I, it's just an artist. It's like the artist name that I use. Well, it certainly makes you a lot more Googleable, so I guess yeah. there's that extra fringe benefit Well, it's too. funny. There's there's another ALX uh, on YouTube, and then I think there's there's a YouTube guy and then another musician with ALX too. And but not Kawakami. No, not Kawakami. So it's it's easy, yeah. I think you've cornered the market. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I get, because uh, <clears throat> I have the uh, the Gmail address, I get a lot of uh, people that have my namesake that are oh, yeah. know, sending me their, their phone bills and their... Uh, some other interesting things. So some of those some of those guys are doing some <laughs> nefarious things. It's not me, everybody. Yeah. It's not him, I promise. No, no, I, can I vouch. admit to all of my nefarious yeah. acts. So you've kind of emerged as the Michael Jackson of sorts from Manoa DNA. I have. Yeah, I think so. Well I think as you know, Lloyd is, you know, adulting. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh and and whenever I try to press Nick about his musical endeavors, it mm-hmm. seems like he uh reluctantly plays with Manoa DNA and, yeah. and pursues other endeavors yeah. in life. So yeah. you, you're the guy that kind of went out and, and went solo and mm-hmm. recorded a record and even moved to L.A. for a short yeah. while and, and mm-hmm. played your face off over there. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about uh, sort of your decision to do your own thing and uh, and make that mm-hmm. move to L.A. and a little bit of the motivation around all that. Um, well, I, I always wanted to play music like when I moved home from Colorado it was with the intention of uh, doing solo stuff and then Manoa DNA happened and so that was awesome and um, I just I slowly wanted to see what it was like to play solo because I had never played solo up until maybe 2012 or 13. Wow so you're talking a full-on seven years after Manoa DNA started playing weekly. Yeah I never played solo I I don't I'm not sure why, um, but I, I never really got up on stage and, and had my just me and my guitar. And so um, my first solo gig was uh, at Tiki's. Is that is it Tiki's? There's a bar in Waikiki. Yeah. Right in the corner of Couple yeah. Blue. And Couple yeah, Blue. yeah. Tiki's. Um, they, they Which is a nice had... place to see music. Yeah, it's cool. Indoor, outdoor. Yeah. And it's always pleasant. And they have a stage, and it was pretty cool. Decent enough food and yeah. a full bar and cool people. And parking was good. And so it was, um, yeah, it, that was my first solo gig. I butchered it. it was Not terrible. much of a stage there, though. You kind of no, set it was right a in the small, middle of the place, Yeah. So, so um, but that was the first solo. I think that was 2012 or 13. And um, I just started doing that more and more um, because uh, my brother and my dad wouldn't be available for a week, maybe at, you know, we we're playing at the Hyatt at the time too, and Lulu's and uh, Kanikopila Grill, and so if 
you know, my brother and my dad were busy doing adult things. Oh, wait things. a minute. You're saying Tiki's, and I was thinking Lulu's the whole time. Tiki's, oh, Tiki's is the block Yeah, up okay, from, okay. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm with you. Okay, so Tiki's, yeah. So that's where you could see Johnny Helm. Yeah, they had three acts or, a night, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, so that was the first one. And, and so those, um, are, those are two-hour gigs, one-hour gigs? I think so, two hours, I think. So two sets. Yeah. And um, and you were in a little hut? Yeah, oh, yeah the small right. stage. Yeah, I got yeah. super hot at sunset. <laughs> um. But it all came up because it was if my brother and my dad were busy, I was like, oh, I'll just play it then. You know, at, at Hyatt or um, at Lulu's, our weekly gigs, I started playing solo or with a trio with Mark on bass and then someone playing percussion. And it was it started getting more and more fun. But I was realizing that playing solo was, was really hard. It was yeah. a lot harder than playing with Manoa DNA. And so that made me want to do it more because it was uncomfortable. And so... Um, at the time, my brother was pretty much the MC of Manojine. He he was the character. He could he would talk, and I was more of the of the music. I would run the rehearsals, write the music, um, and make sure everybody's on the same page. So transitioning into solo was difficult because I I wasn't comfortable talking a lot on stage. I was fine playing music. It wasn't as good as I wanted to be, but. Uh, speaking and transitioning, that was tough. And I never really got used to it um, until I moved to L.A. And the decision to move to L.A. was because I realized I was getting into a routine here uh, with writing music, recording music, and then playing uh, with Manoa DNA or solo. It was just a routine. It was just going through the motions. And I didn't, you know, it, it frustrated me a lot. And uh, I had been going to L.A. to write and meet new people, um, for about a year or two before that, just to um, kind of get a new experience. And I really liked what I was experiencing. And so one morning I just woke up and I, I told Sarah, my wife, um, I said, you know what, I, I need to move to Los Angeles. And, she's, and I said, if you, you know, I would love you to come with me, but I understand if you want to stay. And, um, you know, I'll go back and forth, but I need to do this. And she was so amazing about it that she said, I'm, I'm coming with you. Nice. You know, and that meant a lot because looking back at my time, I was in L.A. for about um, two and a half years or so. And looking back, it would have been so difficult if she wasn't there. Oh, yeah. You know, so that was huge. And um, the decision was hard to make, though, because I knew that meant giving up uh, a good portion of Manoa DNA um, performances Um to take a chance on solo and uh so when i brought it up to the guys you know I, I actually brought it up to my dad my mom and my brother all at the same time that this is what i was going to do um i think it was in march or april i said in october in september i want to move to la and you know they were so awesome about it they said do it you know it's it will be fine um and it was at a point where my brother was making a transition to... And you can't come back because we're renting out your room. Yeah. He said, yeah. So like, go, go, hurry up. We'll, we'll rent out your bedroom. It's cool. Yeah. No, yeah. It was, it was curiously fast how, how they, they cleaned up my area. No. It was weird that they had professional photos already. Yeah. It was already done. <laughs> but, excuse me. Um, but, yeah, it was a difficult decision. Um, but my, my brother and my dad, everybody was really supportive. Um, I kind of went up just pl- blind. I didn't. I didn't have anything set up. I didn't have any gigs scheduled. Um, I just knew I had to be there, and so I had been saving up money um, the last years. So I, I knew I had a cushion that I could go up. And if anything, my my thought process was: if I don't make money, 
um, or I spend all my savings, it's like I went to school for this because you can't you can't really teach this kind of stuff in the classroom. And so when I went up, I utilized the the minimal resources I had. I had a manager in LA I, I signed with before I went up, and so he hooked me up with a bunch of stuff. Um, and how did you find him? Through a family friend. Okay. So he um, so he was pre vetted. Yeah, and he he was a little um, he was older, but he had a lot of experience, so he he could kind of guide me um, through a lot of stuff, and so that was important. You know, I had someone there that I knew, um, but the time that I spent in LA was uh, was awesome. You know, I I I didn't become Bruno Mars. I didn't become you know yes. Jason Mraz yet, but. Um, you know, I more I, money, more problems. Yeah, I I know that. I I don't want I don't want that life. You know, <laughs> um, but the the time I spent there, I made sure that I made it worth it. You know, I it, I worked on music every single day. Uh, I had a gig or two that <clears throat> a gig or two a week that I would uh, go and try new things. I would step outside the box. I would make sure to try and grab people um, from the stage instead of just going through the motions. I was playing at a bar in Burbank, and it's easy to just sit down and play for three hours because everybody's talking and drinking they don't care it's background music but my goal was i want at least two to three people after to come up to me and say oh that was so cool man that sounded great because that means they're listening and so that's where i learned as a solo artist how to speak on stage and how to transition between songs excuse me and the perfect timing you know not to talk too much too less and so I kind of honed that and I was able to do that because nobody really cared what I was saying until I started once I started talking and getting into the groove then they started listening and so it was only till then which was you know two years ago that I really started honing in on the solo career and trying new things and realizing I got to be more than just you know it's not only about the music. You know, my, my brother in Manoa DNA was the one who talked a lot and would would spark the banter between he and I or with my dad. Um, but solo, I, I never had that before. And so I kind of had to learn how to do that. And that, I think, that and a different kind of work ethic were the two things that I brought back from L.A. that I think were are in value. I mean, they're just, you can't put a price on that. And well, all so, of a sudden you're playing in L.A. where you don't have a large extended family that's going None. to every gig yeah. and all their friends. Because, I mean, when, when you come to an Alex gig or a Manoa DNA gig, it's a party. Yeah. And yeah. it's funny because the way that you describe it, you say, yeah, there's lots of people that support. But those people aren't really there supporting you. They're, they're coming <laughs> they're to party. party. Yeah. Like, you are an excuse for them to get together and have fun. Yeah. And it's always fun. Yeah. So, you know, the music is amazing and your yeah. artistry is incredible. But it's that culture that you've cultivated and that your, your following is cultivated that makes it happen. It's probably oddly akin to the Grateful Dead mm-hmm. where their music is it's interesting yeah technically it's not going to blow anybody yeah. away but, but that a, whole scene that follows them it's you know yeah. that it's going to be it's like Jimmy Buffett yeah you know, exactly that's what it is it's simple music you know we don't do anything we don't I, I listen to bands like I just went to Blood Sweat and Tears oh my goodness they're like technically and oh my god it was so awesome but we're not that well I don't want to downplay the the uh, technicality or the proficiency of your music because that's amazing but, but what I really wanted to highlight is people will go to your shows because they know it's going to be a yeah. party well that's what we you know that's what we try and do because I mean 
in all honesty, we know we're we're not blood, sweat, and tears. We're not the 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 best technically. We have great harmonies yeah. and we love the the music that we play. But we also want to make it a party, and so that's what we focus on in Japan too. Is we want to make it the atmosphere to like you're there and you're gonna have fun. The music is gonna be good, but the feel of being there and partying and having a good time—that's what we like to capture. And so that's that's kind of what um, I brought back from LA too. Is you know music is good. Yep. But it's got to be. There's a little more to it. There's yep. got to be a, a better experience that people have because that will. That's what's going to make them come back. So that must have been interesting for you to to play in places where you didn't really know anybody. Yeah, none. And and also had to develop an audience from scratch. Like these, yeah. these places that you were playing, like the place in Burbank, was it a regular crowd or was it different people no. every week? It was completely different people every week. Um, I maybe uh, in the beginning. I, I didn't know anybody that came, like zero people um, I knew. It was all strangers, which is really scary because, you know, we're, we're used to, in Hawaii, there's such a sense of family and friends that every gig, someone's going to be there that knows you yep. or knows a friend of yours. And so being there, it was like, whoa, I'm, I'm all by myself. I have nobody here to start the clapping. I have nobody here to start drinking and having fun it's all up to me and i have to make them want to do that and so it was it wasn't scary it was just i knew it was something much different and a lot more difficult and so that that's what kind of got me over the hump of you know being able to be comfortable on stage and talk and you know not being so worried about oh what am i going to say next he's like is, is this going to be good if i say that it's you know i i know that whatever i'm going to say it's going to be good, and it's interacting with the crowd. And so I wouldn't have learned that if I didn't go to L.A. I think it's also interesting, too, that it, everybody needs to find their voice. Mm -hmm. You can't just learn from one artist how to mm -hmm. deal with a crowd because your way is going to be your most natural, your most comfortable, your most mm -hmm. individual way that you can't you can't copy that from somebody else. You have to find no. it for yourself. And yeah, that it's could be experience. You know, it's, it's experience. And um, that was one thing that I think Henry Capono and his team saw is – um, how I, I did know how to do that. And I, I was really happy that they noticed that because that's something that I was consciously trying to work on is being comfortable on stage, um, having a stage presence. You know, that's so important. Um, it's almost as important as the music is to have some kind of a stage presence. And um, they, they, uh, they mentioned that to me and that meant a lot because that's exactly what I was working on in L.A. And... Um, I wouldn't have got it if I just stayed here because the level of entertainers everywhere in LA, I mean, no matter where you go, you could go to a, a dump bar somewhere and the guy playing is this amazing guitarist. And you're like, what the heck? Yeah. What are you doing here? And so it made you think, oh, I got to step this up. Yeah. You know. Meanwhile, he's one of the 50 guitarists that recorded Steely Dan. Yeah, you know, yeah. The tracks? he's just doing it for fun. Yeah, yeah it's because crazy. his buddy owns the bar. Yeah. So you'd mentioned that before you moved out to LA that you had flown out and had some writing mm -hmm. sessions out there. And how does that, yeah. what does that look like? Um, so the first time I ever went to LA um, since going to Disneyland when I was like eight was in 2012. Um, and the same friend that hooked me up with the manager in LA um, had me hook up with a songwriter that was, uh, that was based out in the Valley. And um, and then also got me in touch with Ken Calais, who is Colby Calais' dad, and he also produced the Fleetwood Mac Rumors album. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. So we got into contact with him um, and agreed to uh, have him produce four of Manoa DNA's songs. And whether they're old songs or new songs, um, it was up to us. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to go to LA, meet with who would be the guy who would become my manager, meet with Ken, and then also meet with one of Ken's songwriters. And so I flew to LA. I had no itinerary. I think the day before, I might have booked a hotel somewhere close to where the songwriter lived. I just went up there. And when I landed, I realized I have no freaking idea where or what I'm doing here. So I just got up, drove to the my manager's house, slept at his house one night, and then drove down to the valley to meet the guy that I'd be writing music with. And I, met, I just drove to his house. I had no idea what the process was because I had never written with anybody else. Um, but I just went to his house because that's what they told me to do. And me and uh, this guy, his name's Eric Berdan, we hit it off immediately. He was... I'm a huge, not not, 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 not the animals. Not the animals. <laughs> I, I looked him up. I was like, oh, this guy's old. I don't know. <laughs> but no, he's younger. But um, immediately, we, you know, I was so nervous. I was sweaty. And I was like, this guy is, you know, he writes music for all these big people. He works with all these big people. Why, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. And Colby's a songwriter, though. Yeah. Right? I mean, she writes a lot she of stuff. She writes most so. of her stuff. Yeah. Um, but we met, and I'm a huge Denver Broncos fan. He's a huge Denver Broncos fan. I love whiskey and scotch. He loves whiskey and scotch. And so it was all these little things that happened in the first day or two I was there that we became like best friends. So it was, it was really strange that that happened. But um, that first trip, we wrote about four or five songs. And he, he would send me to another person's house uh, to write music with another guy. And we became friends with that guy. And so it was just, it all fit together. You know, I'm it was at the time it was very stressful and I was by myself. Um, and, uh, I was driving in the city of, in LA by myself, but never being there before I'd go, I was going to these people, people's houses, writing with people I've never met before. Um, and recording in their house, just demo. all just word of mouth, just Eric saying, Hey, go, yeah. go meet, meet with this person and come yeah. up with something. He said, Oh, are you, you know, we'd be writing and he said, Oh, by the way, what are you doing? Uh, I I have to go somewhere at four, but why are you doing anything tonight? And I was like, no, I don't know anybody here, so I'll just be in my hotel room. And he said, okay, well, I'm going to send you to one of my friends to write. And I said, okay. So I would drive down to uh, like downtown LA and just park and go up to this guy's apartment, and we we wrote music. And all these songs are on Mon- Monoa DNA's album. We ended up using them. And so it was just it, that first trip was huge for me because it got me to step out of the box. And, you know, like I was saying, I was in this routine. That was my first experience of, hey, this is a way to get out of that routine. Because whenever I'd come back, I'd just get back into the routine. And then I'd go to LA and it'd be all this new stuff. And I'd come back here. So that's what kind of sparked it, where I realized I need to go there for longer periods of time to get me out of this, you know, to get me back into something new and exciting. How do those songwriter uh, sessions take shape? Like, technically speaking, when Mm -hmm. you're, I mean, so you sit down with instruments, you sit down with a computer, sit down with a pad of paper, like, take me through, like, the first song that you wrote with Eric. Um, So, most of the songs... um, So, you've already, the the Broncos game is over, you're drunk on whiskey. Yeah, and then we sit down, and I I would play him ideas that I've already had. Um, He would play me ideas. So he's a, we, he's playing what instrument? Guitar. Okay. Guitar. So you're both sitting there with guitars. Yeah. And we're playing and he goes, okay, play me something that you have. And so I'd have like a chorus or a, a melody and I'd play it. 
he'd say, okay, play me the next one. It's okay. And then he'd play something and I'm okay. Next one. And he'd play something. And then at some point it'd be like, wait, what was that? What did you do right there? And so I, I would play it again. He goes, okay, let's, let's work on this. And so we, from there, we'd just write the whole song from scratch. So, um, like, let's say I had a, I had a song that I had written a lot of it, but I hated everything I wrote. Um, and so I played him the chorus of it. And it's a song that we recorded. It's called Just For You. Um, and I played it for him. And so the chorus, we went through and he loved it. So he, we just rewrote some of the lyrics of the chorus. And then for the verses, we just from scratch went through it. So I had a few a few ideas. Um, for and you already had the, you kept the same chord progression? Um, or you Basically, yeah, for that song we did. But for a lot of the other ones, we just kind of... Um, went through it and we kind of be writing on our own you know ideas but then when someone would uh like let's say i had i I think okay i got a good line then i'd bring it up and play it for him and be like that's perfect let's move on to the next line or um you know if, if i think a different chord progression would be better then you know you bring it up at the time but it just slowly comes together in pieces and then from there we record a demo of it with just guitar and vocals and listen to it and tweak it still from there. Are you sitting there with like pen and paper or I had my, iPads? my we both had iPads. Okay. Um it's a app called Songwriters Pad which is really cool. It has um it comes with a thesaurus, a rhyming dictionary. Um you can it's all sections of so verses, you can record uh audio on it too per song so when you're actually writing you know you write a verse and you don't want to forget the melody so you on the app you just record right on the song and then you, you go through it again and then so you have all these different takes and you're both using the same app yeah yeah and is that something that he turned you on to or you yeah, turned him he, on to he turned me on to that one because i would just write on the um the pages app in my on my ipad so this was this is way better i mean i i, I suggest this app to everybody that asks and so when he was sending you off to other people's houses were they using no. the same they were using everybody's using something different. yeah it was all different um some were using pen and paper some were using their laptop and when you're writing on your own what comes first is it the lyrics or the melody or the progression it's or? usually um it, it used to be kind of a mix but recently it's been more of a certain melody that um that sparks and i i try and put words to the melody but then the melody will change if I really like a certain line. You know, if I'm if I have a line that I can't fit in that melody, then I'll change the melody to fit the the line. But it's mostly melody first, mm -hmm. and then once the words start progressing, then adjusting the melody to fit. You know, if I if I think a, a line is really um, powerful, then I'll change the melody. To and it. Are you you're sitting around with an acoustic guitar. Yeah, as you're thinking these always. Things? Yeah. Yeah, and so you've recorded a, a solo album recently. Yes, I was a little bit uh, starstruck when I showed up to your record release party at Gordon Biersch. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. And uh, and the opening band was John Yamasato <laughs> uh, from Pure Heart and Jake Shimabukuro from uh, Jake Shimabukuro <laughs> yeah. from uh, you know from his fame and Pure Heart fame and Cologne. Yeah, I mean. I was like, wait a minute. These are the openers. <laughs> who is this Alex And guy? you know what? Blaine Asing was in that band too. And Blaine Asing, who's a, yeah. a young up-and-coming talent who, uh, when I first saw him, was, uh, was, was just, I mean, amazing, yeah. undeniably talented, yeah. but a little bit timid. 
Yeah, a little bit. But in practically no time, he's become prolific in yeah. his presence and his yeah. in his musicality and he's and, progressing uh, fast and he's he's good, man. Yeah, and just a sweet guy. Yeah, and, and very cool nice. Family. Yeah, and um, and so that was pretty amazing. And you put on a great show with Mark Perlman and uh, uh, Tanoi. Yeah, Mark Tanoi, yeah. Scott Schaefer on drums. Was Jeanette playing? Yeah, too? Jeanette yeah, was Jeanette yeah. on keyboards. Who is uh, incredibly talented oh, yeah. and uh, versatile. And then at one point you dismissed the band, yeah, which we knew was going to get tender. And then all of a sudden Henry Capono hops on stage. Yeah. So I'm going to Alex's record release party. He's, Jake Shinobukuro is opening up for him, and then he's doing a duo with Henry. Yeah, and it was funny. awesome. Yeah. I loved that. Was a great moment. Usually people are like, oh, well, I'm going to go use the bathroom now that it, now that it's yeah. the acoustic set. But yeah. that really raised the roof. I mean, yeah. the quality that was so good. And just the. I mean, your your ability to to match harmonies is incredible, mm-hmm. but it's kind of cheating when you're doing it with Mino DNA because oh yeah, totally you've got cheating. Your, your dad and, and and your brother who you guys have you know all of the same mechanics thanks yeah. to uh, you know the genetics. It's but totally now you cheating. show up with Henry Capono, who's obviously a living legend, and the blend that you guys have mm-hmm. was phenomenal and moving chicken skin. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's a funny story too. Is how I I got hooked up with Henry is. Um, I have known him before because my dad traveled with him, but I didn't know him, know him. You know, if I saw him in passing, I'd shake his hand and say, hey, Henry, nice to see you. That's it. And he's very generous about that. When you very, see him around yeah. town, he's very approachable. He, he is like the nicest person yep. ever. Um, he's actually, he's very quiet, but once you get to know him, he's, he's so nice. Um, great role model. Yeah, he definitely is. Um, but the way I got hooked up with them was because, and you know, now this is kind of jumping all over the place, but I'm I'm working with uh, Henry and his Capono Inc. team now a lot more, and that would not have happened if I wasn't in L.A. And so what <laughs> happened was, you know, I was in L.A. I was, I, I it struggling in L.A. Um, with everything. You know, it was, it was really hard to, um, to see any kind of success or progression that I was making because, um, and and kind of looking back. I was much harder on myself than I, th- I think I should have been, but I didn't see any progression. I didn't see any growth in terms of um, like success, and so it was tough. It was tough. And then what happened was a, f- a friend of Henry's and a friend of Mark Tanoy, who had reached out to me uh, because they live in Long Beach, which is about an hour from where I live. Mm-hmm. Um, they reached out and they had come to see me at Burbank a few times, and they're telling me, hey, you know, we're friends with Henry uh, Capono and his wife, Leslie, and, you know, they do tours all the time up here. You should you should call them and see if you can open. And I said, okay, you know, like, I, I'm not going to do that, but, but <laughs> okay, that's a good idea because I, I didn't want to just be like, hey, man, uh, let me open for you. Why not? Yeah, I don't know. You know, I'd, you might catch him at the right moment. Yeah. but I, I'm know, totally not shy about that stuff. I'll, yeah. I'll do that all the time. I, I, I don't know. People I, are freaked out sometimes, but you never know because sometimes you, you never, just, you yeah. while the iron's you, hot, you know? You know, that's, uh, you do, yeah, exactly. You never know. And I should have, but so what ended up happening is, you know, time went by and last, um, last year in June... Um, uh, the same friends. Their name is Dave and Michelle. They they're great. They're so good. Um, they reached out to me again and said, "Hey, I I just talked to Leslie on the phone and I told them that they needed to contact you to open, because <laughs> <laughs> since you're not gonna go forward with it, we will." And I was like, "Oh, thank you so much." And so, uh, they, and then she said, "Oh, but they already have an opener. Um, they're playing in 
um, San Juan Capistrano, they already have an opener, but said, maybe you can come and sit in on a song. And I was like, okay, actually, this was probably in July. And I was like, all right, uh, but he's playing in like three days and I'm in Florida right now. Uh, I played for 4th of July in Florida and I was flying back. And she said, yeah, no, Henry's going to call you. Don't worry. And I was like, oh, my goodness. It's like Henry Capone's going to call me. And what am I supposed to say? So he calls me. It's Monday. He's playing on a Wednesday. Uh, Monday, I'm in the Orlando airport. And he calls me and says, hey, man, uh, I just heard that you might be coming down to jam. Is that cool? Like, do you want to sit in with me? And I was like, yeah, if you'll have me, that'd be great. He said, okay, well, um, you know, send me, let's do, you know, a song or two. Just send me, text me some CNK songs, you know. And since I grew up with CNK, I, I texted him the whole list of ev <laughs> every single CNK song. And the way he explains it is he's like, I don't even remember recording this song. How do you know this? <laughs> and so I text him this and he comes back and says, okay, we'll choose one. And then we'll do Norwegian Wood by the Beatles. Oh, yeah, which you or, did at your record release yeah, party, and he said, which was cool. He said, you know that song, yeah? And I was totally, I had no idea what that song was. <laughs> I, I was like, so I asked my mom, do you know that song, Nor Norwegian Wood? She goes, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Well, I got to learn it in two days. And so I chose to play Sunflower, which was one of my favorites, but I had never played before. And then Norwegian Wood. So I got back to L.A. on Tuesday, having to play with Henry on Wednesday and having to learn two songs that I've never played before. And I was thinking in my head, this is so stupid. Why did I do this to myself? You know, I don't, like I said earlier, I don't like going into something unprepared. So I spent the whole day and a half just in, I had a little closet that I made into my little sound proof thingy. And I sat in there and I just played each song over and over for like six hours the first day and six hours the next day, just playing it, making sure I could play it in my head and just in my sleep. And so I went down and I was thinking, okay, Norwegian Wood, I don't know. Um, I don't know what key he plays it in. Uh, so I'll just go off whatever he usually plays it in. So I get there for sound check and he's like, okay, come up, let's, let's, uh, let's sound check and go over it. So we play Sunflower and it's awesome. It's just once, you know, when he comes in on his harmony and the echoes, oh, it gave me chicken skin. I was like, okay, we're good with that. And then I turned to him on Norwegian Wood while we're practicing and I said, okay, so what key do you play? And I'll follow you. He goes, oh, I don't know. I never played that song before. Oh, and I was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. Well, I'm keys D, right? Yeah. I was like, okay, we'll just do it in D or E, whatever, <laughs> whatever you want. I don't, I don't care. And he's like, okay. So we practiced it, went through it. It was okay. And so we practiced it again backstage. And so when it came time to play, I was like, oh man. I've, Sunflower, I've never played live in front of anybody before, so this is going to be interesting. So we started playing it, and the crowd went nuts for Sunflower. It was like people were crying because it reminded them of back in the day, and I was, was like, oh, there's something special here. And then we played Norwegian Wood, and he, I had uh, printed lyrics just in case, and so he goes over and he steals my lyrics, puts it by him, but he doesn't realize he steals Sunflower lyrics. Oh! So we're, we started it, and I just look at him, and I, I bend down, and I switch the papers to Norwegian wood for him. And he goes, I knew there was a reason I brought you on stage. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And we played it down, and it was awesome. And that's that was the point that he and Leslie, um, they they both saw something special between Henry and I. And even though we had just met again that day, it was the first time. 
and that gave way to the songs of CNK tours that we're doing now as they they saw that potential and it's it's just crazy and that was the first time I felt like you know something was happening you know something exciting might be brewing um it was I needed that you know in LA it was just I was I kept just going and I was hitting a wall and I was hitting a wall and I was getting rejected a lot for TV stuff uh record companies and writing music so I was just at some point you can get up you can get up and then it's just like at some point you get tired yep. and I was that's where I was at I was kind of thinking you know what this is not worth it I don't like I don't like doing this and then this happened and that kind of gave me enough gas to go on a little more and it got me to want to record the album write more music have it produced and it just gave way to all these different steps and you know now looking looking at it where I'm at now it's it's awesome I really love where I'm at personally musically professionally it and I I kind of attribute it all to that day with Henry because a lot of the stuff that's happening is um, based off of that day. Well, I think you can't discount all of the time and effort and dedication and listening to your heart that that you did leading up to that to yeah. put you in that place. So yeah, you know you can't just blame it all on him. I oh mean, yeah, you, yeah. You've, yeah. You've worked hard your entire yeah, career. Yeah, I mean I was I was prepared for it, and that that's kind of what my motto was. It's you know no matter when the time will come always be prepared and so it was just to a point where I was prepared to do something it's just nothing came up and so until that happened you know kind of gave me the extra energy to to keep going and and want to keep pursuing it and you know it hasn't even been a year since then so it was all good so the songs of CNK tour yes is happening yeah when where uh wow. Well, it's been happening. So we we did the first shows in December at Blue Note. Uh, we did three nights, um, and all sold out, which is cool. Blue Note is awesome here in Hawaii. If you guys haven't been, you should go. Um, and then from then we've gone to um, mini tour on the West Coast. We've gone uh, to Maui, Big Island. Um, there's a few private gigs coming up that want to hire us for the songs of CNK, um, and the same personnel every time. You yeah, play? yeah. And so, just run me through the band. So, the the guys singing, we got Johnny Valentine, who is amazing. He knows every single song, and he's such a good entertainer, and he's really nice too. Johnny Valentine, who's um, playing guitar, guitar, electric guitar. Uh, Blaine Asing, who's we we're talking about, really talented, great voice. He's playing acoustic guitar. Um, Henry's playing his acoustic guitar, and then I'm that weird guitar, right? Yeah, it's the like small, the small carbon fiber. Yeah. yeah, and then I'm playing electric guitar also. And then um, are we, you and Johnny trading leads? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we trade here and there. We kind of felt it out as we rehearsed, but it's um, it's gotten to be good between us. Um, so we did we did one show or a couple shows with just the four of us, but with the full band. Um, we have uh, Conrad Kendrick on drums. Except for in California, we had Bobby Figueroa, who used to be the drummer for the Beach Boys. Oh wow! So he he came in on that, and then John Haas on bass, who's he's solid, and, um, and he's a pretty busy guy. I see when he oh, goes out on tour with uh, uh, Mike Love Mike, that yeah. they're playing not just a new venue every night, but they're playing a new state yeah. every night. Which yeah, is like a day off every couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean that's pretty he's, aggressive stuff. He's super busy too. And John, I, I remember seeing him playing with Henry in Waikiki at the Tropics right there yep. on the on the beach walk yep. years ago. So he's probably, he's I think been, they were playing as a trio, as a matter of fact. Yeah, he's been with Henry for, I forget what he said, maybe 
11 or 12 years already. And a solid guy. Yeah. East Coaster. Yeah, he's he's great. I mean, that's what Versatile. I... Yeah, you know, I, I roomed with uh, Blaine on the West Coast tour. Blaine and I have become really good friends. And he when we were touring... He was, you know, at, at when we were about to go to sleep, we would talk about like what happened and just about the tour. And he was saying, he goes, man, this is great. He said, this is, I'm having so much fun. And, you know, the, everybody on this trip is so fun. And I told him, it's not always like this. You know, I, it, it's, we've been on trips where, you know, if it's different artists or musicians that one person can ruin the whole vibe of the whole trip. And I said, you know, it's not always like this, you know, make, make sure you, you really capture this moment and remember it just in case, you know, he goes on a solo tour and something happens, you know, like this is special. What we or have. he ends up with a jerk like John LeBlanc on his crew. Yeah, yeah, that guy. <laughs> hate that guy. <laughs> no. But he, and that's the beauty of the Songs of CNK tour is that we're, we all get along super well and it's fun. Like it's really, really fun. And I know it's not always like that with bands and traveling, especially traveling is when you figure out you know people's real personality and the blue note holds just a couple hundred people yeah i think uh i think it's like 300 max and then the other rooms that you're playing what are those like oh west coast we played um they held anywhere between four to seven hundred people and it was sold out each time vegas i think was the most was 700 and are they primarily They're, baby boomers that you know grew yeah, up with this yeah. stuff in the, the there's CK mostly stuff in the 70s, yeah, yeah. Mostly, but I, I see the occasional, you know, my generation, and they they love it too. So because because you guys grew up with your yeah. parents spinning those yeah. records, yeah, and all the bread and the kalapana and all yeah. that stuff, yeah. So that's that's going well, man. I there's there's a lot of potential there for us too. So and Henry has been, it's amazing how supportive he has been. You know, he's a legend Absolutely. here, and. Even even Hollow Notes when they came to town worshipped him. Yeah, yeah, for that's, making their that's their song so big here. So and, crazy, but but he, it's not. It makes total sense. I mean, he's got the goods and yeah. he's got the humility. No, I mean it's crazy that he is able to take like you know me and Blaine, let's say, because Johnny has been established um, here for a while, but to take to realize that you know Blaine and I would hopefully add something to his show says a lot about his character because um, it's refreshing to see someone who's willing to help and instead of pull somebody back down, you know, I mean, there's, I've experienced a lot over the years of people who would rather see you fail than, than succeed or won't, aren't willing to help you because they're afraid you might get any kind of success. And Henry's, them. yeah. And Henry's the exact opposite which is so mind-blowing to me because he could pretty much, if he wanted to, be like, no, I'm not going to help you guys. You know, you're going to, you might be sing this song better or you might do this, da 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 But he's the exact opposite where he wants to feature us. And you could see it in his face when, like, when Blaine sings Six O'Clock Bad News with him. He's happy, which is so weird, you know? It's just like, it's so good to see that. And I, that's why I respect the man so much to be able to just, Put all ego aside because he realizes this is something that could help someone else. And that's just his personality. He's such a giver and he helps in any way he can. And that's he's a great, great role model for us as well as anybody else in the music business that's trying to do something and trying to see how to be a professional 
watch Henry Capono. That's yeah. that's how you are professional. We're so lucky to have him. A yeah. living treasure for yeah. sure. Awesome. Well, I know you've got to run. I really appreciate your oh, yeah. generosity of yeah, time and sharing your history and your inspiration and your ideas. You're playing with Manoa DNA, and we can find all of your upcoming dates yep. at manoadna.com. You've yep. also got your own website, Alex Kawakami. That's alxkawakami.com, yep. and you've got a pretty full calendar. Yeah. And you can be seen alongside Henry Capono in the Songs of C&K Tour. Yep. HenryCapono.com includes a very comprehensive calendar. This guy is playing his face off multiple yeah. gigs a day, it seems. He's hard working, man. And uh, man, what a what a gift! And uh, really appreciate your time. Yeah. So thanks for spending time on the yeah. Johnny Pounds podcast. Is there anything else that uh, people should know about? Where can where can we get your latest record? Oh, it's on iTunes, Amazon, all, all those normal places where people buy music now, or even stream it on Spotify. It's on there. So check that out. Facebook, Instagram, and contact me. I'll be happy to talk to you. Cool. That's awesome. Thanks yeah. very much for all of your uh, your mentorship and all of your life experience. Is there anything else coming up for you that um, you need help with or anything that we can help uh, be a part of to, to make you even more successful? Uh, you know, I, I'm trying to find a, a place to have a regular gig in Hawaii now since I left for a while. Um, me and uh, the Kopono team trying to find a nice home for me to play. Um, and have maybe a weekly thing here and there. So I might be starting something up and it'd be great to see anybody come out. And, Solo, duo, full uh, band? Do you have a preference? Right now, I, I would rather have a full band, but that's hard to do, uh, to have weekly. But right now it's uh, solo. So I think solo and then build it up to to having a, a full band at these things. So I would appreciate if you guys came out. Um, yeah, just check my calendar though. It'd be great to see you. And, party awesome like, yeah and definitely the kawakami gigs whether it's oh, just yeah. alex or manoa dna are always a party it's gonna the, be fun. the family's there and the family friends and they're all fun loving so it's uh, definitely yeah. definitely a great time yeah cool well thanks again this thanks. is johnny pounds podcast